This is the Return to Order Moment with Edwin Benson. Bringing you insights, analysis, and information for a culture in crisis. The Second Vatican Council's New Theology by Luis Sergio Salameo, Part 1. This article was published on www.tfp.org on September 2, 2020. Luis Sergio Salomeo is a Catholic scholar, teacher, and writer of many books, essays, and articles. In 1960, he joined the Brazilian Society for the Defense of Tradition, Family, Property, TFP. He currently teaches philosophy and history at the American TFP. In this article, Mr. Salomeo presents his reasoned analysis of Vatican II. Many people wonder whether the current crisis in the Church began with the Second Vatican Council. Others believe that the crisis predates the Council, and therefore, the latter cannot be accused of causing it. The reality is more complex. If the Church were not in crisis, the Second Vatican Council, with all its innovations in terms of doctrine, pastoral policy, liturgy, and discipline, would have been impossible. On the other hand, Although the Council is not at the origin of the current crisis, it made it deeper and universal. It also affected an almost complete change of mentality among Catholics, leading them on the one hand to abandon the spirit of sacrifice, piety, and the sense of sacrality, and on the other, to draw closer to the world, its pomps, and its works. After the Second Vatican Council, Documented studies were published showing that, from its beginning, a well-organized minority of progressive bishops and theologians with well-defined methods and goals managed to take control of its operations and outcome. In January 1967, shortly after the end of the Council, Father Ralph M. Wiltgen, SVD, published The Rhine Flows into the Tiber, the Unknown Council. It became famous and was translated into French. The book's title summarizes its thesis. From the beginning, the Second Vatican Council was dominated by an alliance of progressive European bishops and theologians from countries bordering the Rhine River, France, Germany, and Holland. During the Council in Rome, Father Wilkins staffed a news agency called Divine Word News Service, which issued media releases in six languages. That gave him access to, quote, all official correspondence, documents, and working papers received by the Council Fathers from the Council Secretariat, unquote. He also had, quote, access to all correspondence and documentation sent by the Rhine Group to its members, unquote. No one challenged the facts presented in the well-informed and documented book. On the contrary, French-Dominican priest Yves Congar, the European Alliance's leading and possibly the Council's most influential theologian, stated, quote, Father Wilkin was remarkably well-informed and his report, which shows the unfolding of the entire Council, is full of precise details. In short, the Rhine was in reality that broad current of Catholic theology and pastoral science which had got underway in the early 50s and with regard to liturgical matters and biblical sources even earlier than that, unquote. 
In 2010, historian Roberto de Mattei published his magnificent The Second Vatican Council, An Unwritten Story. It confirmed and expanded the picture painted by Father Wiltkin, adding new documents and considerations. For example, de Mattei highlighted the role of Brazil's Bishop Helder Pessoa Camara, a great friend of Cardinals Montini, the future Paul VI, and Swenyans, primate of Belgium, as one of the organizers of the progressive current. Professor de Mattei studies the Council's ideological background, its neo-modernist roots, and mentions important reactions against this theological trend, emphasizing, among other things, the role of Professor Plinio Correa de Oliveira, especially with his 1943 book, In Defense of Catholic Action. The alliance Father Wilkin described, and which Roberto de Mattei called a network of relations, was a vast neo-modernist theological current or movement known as the Nouvelle Theologie, or New Theology. The doctrines of this current, which the Dominican priests Marie-Michel Labourdet and Reginald Garagou Lagrange denounced in 1946, were condemned by Pope Pius XII in 1950 in the encyclical Humani Generis. Its leading representatives, including Father Yves Congar and Father Henry de Lubac, S.J., were barred from higher education teaching posts. Pope John XXIII, however, rehabilitated this neo-modernist current by inviting Fathers Congar, de Lubac, and Jean de Nelou, S.J., to be experts at this council. In his book on the Council, Father John W. O'Malley wrote, quote, The theologians of La Nouvelle Theologie, like Henry de Lubac and Yves Congar, were rehabilitated at Vatican II, unquote. Writing about Vatican II, French historian Philippe Lavillaine says that at the Preparatory Theological Commission of the Council, quote, Among the consultants, one could note the presence of Fathers Congar, de Lubac, Hans Kung, etc. The entire clique of theologians implicitly condemned by the encyclical Humani Generis in 1950 had been called to Rome by the will of John XXIII, unquote. In his book, Nouvelle Theologie, New Theology, Inheritor of Modernism, Precursor of Vatican II, which had vast repercussions, Jürgen Metpenningen speaks of an implicit rehabilitation of the Nouvelle Theologie during Vatican II. He explains, quote, Indeed, the Council does appear to represent a moment of transformation in the reception of the Nouvelle Theologie. Not only were several representatives of the movement granted the opportunity to participate in the Council itself, but their influence, as we can see from the records of the Council and different Council diaries, turned out to be quite considerable, unquote. Met Pennigan goes on to comment, quote, The Second Vatican Council itself ultimately appropriated the central features of the ambitions of the Nouvelle Theologie. The disposition of Roman neo-scholasticism and the assimilation of the Nouvelle Theologie allows us to speak of the rehabilitation of Fathers Chenu, Congar, and de Lubac during the Council. Unquote. And he concludes, quote, The Council transformed the negative connotations associated with the Nouvelle Theologie into positive connotations. Unquote. According to the Catholic progressive magazine Informations Catholiques Internationales, 
Father Congar, quote, directly inspired ten of the sixteen conciliar texts, unquote. Father Congar himself recognizes his active participation in the writing of eight of the conciliar documents, quote, I contributed to Lumen Gentium, De Revelazione, De Ecumenissimo, Declaration on Non-Christian Religions, Schema 13 of Gaudium et Spes, De Missionibus, De Libertate Religiosa, De Presbyteris, unquote. In his study on the Nouvelle Theologie, Father Garagou Lagrange emphasized the role of the pantheistic evolutionary theories of Father Pierre Teilhard de Chardin, S.J., in this neo-modernist movement. Although Father Teilhard de Chardin was banned from publishing his writings, they were mimeographed and circulated in seminaries and religious communities. His theories destroyed any possibility of immutable dogmas or the distinction between the natural and the supernatural. Naturalism was one of the characteristics of the Nouvelle Theologie, especially in the writings of Father Henri de Lubac S.J., a disciple of Father Teilhard de Chardin, about whom he wrote numerous books. In his book, Principles of Catholic Theology, published in 1982, Joseph Cardinal Ratzinger highlights Father Teilhard de Chardin's influence in the documents of Vatican II and especially in Gaudium et Spes. Cardinal Ratzinger speaks of the optimism of the quote-unquote progress that prevailed at the time of the Council and comments, quote, In the Catholic domain, Vatican Council II fostered participation in this general movement. The impetus given by Father Teilhard de Chardin exerted a wide influence. With daring vision, it incorporated the historical movement of Christianity into the great cosmic process of evolution from Alpha to Omega. The Council's pastoral constitution on the Church in the modern world took its cue. Father Teilhard's slogan, Christianity means more progress, more technology, became a stimulus in which the Council Fathers found a concrete hope that it was easier to interpret and disseminate than was the meaning of the complicated discussions about the collegiality of bishops, the primacy of the Pope, scripture and tradition, priest and laity, unquote. Father Garagou Lagrange's study shows that by accepting a relativist and evolutionist concept of truth, the Nouvelle Theologie fell into the same error as the modernists. He cites the condemnation by St. Pius X in the decree Lamentabili Sane, quote, Truth is no more immutable than man himself, inasmuch as it evolved with him, in him, and through him, Unquote. He also cites the encyclical Pascendi, in which, speaking of the modernists, the saintly Pope says, quote, They pervert the eternal concept of truth. Unquote. In 1946, Pope Pius XII pointed out the gravity of this change in the concept of truth. Quote, if one thought that one had to agree with an idea like that, what would become of Catholic dogmas, which must never change? What would happen to the unity and stability of faith? Unquote. On August the 12th, 1950, with the encyclical Humani Generis, Pope Pius XII published the much-awaited condemnation of the Nouvelle Theologie. 
One of the central points of the Nouvelle Theologie was the abandonment of the use of scholastic philosophy, and especially Thomism in theology. For this reason, Pius XII defended scholastic philosophy, which the Church's magisterium always accepted as the most suited as an aid to theology. The Church demands that future priests be instructed in philosophy, quote, according to the method, doctrine, and principles of the angelic doctor, St. Thomas Aquinas, since, as we well know from the experience of centuries, the method of Aquinas is singularly preeminent both of teaching students and for bringing truth to light. His doctrine is in harmony with divine revelation and is most effective both for safeguarding the foundation of the faith and for reaping, sanely and usefully, the fruits of sound progress." Now, in his opening speech of the Council, titled Gaudet Mater Ecclesiae, October 11, 1962, Pope John XXIII asked that the Council adopt modern thought, which implied abandoning Thomism, which was the goal of the Nouvelle Theologie. Comparing some of the condemnations made by Pius XII in the encyclical Humani Generis with the text of this speech, one cannot fail to see the similarity between those condemnations and what John XXIII presents as the Council's purpose. Pius XII summarized the modernist position in these words, quote, According to the innovators, a way will be found to satisfy modern needs that will permit of dogma being also expressed by the concepts of modern philosophy, whether of immanentism or idealism or existentialism or any other system. Unquote. In the following paragraph, Pope Pius refutes that assertion. Quote, it is evident that such tentatives not only lead to what they call dogmatic relativism, but that they actually contain it. The contempt of doctrine commonly taught and of the terms in which it is expressed strongly favor it. Unquote. Further on, Pius XII insists, They seem to imply that any kind of philosophy or theory, with a few additions and corrections if need be, can be reconciled with Catholic dogma. No Catholic can doubt how false this is, especially when there is a question of those fictitious theories they call immanentism or idealism or materialism, whether historic or dialectic or even existentialism, whether atheistic or simply the type that denies the validity of the reason in the fields of metaphysics." Unquote. John XXIII, on the contrary, ordered a modernist interpretation. Catholic doctrine, Pope John says, quote, was to be studied and expounded by the Council by using modern methods of research and literary forms of modern thought, unquote. John XXIII justifies the use of modern philosophies, saying, quote, the substance of the ancient doctrine of the deposit of the faith is one thing, and the way it is presented is another, unquote. Now, the truths of faith are expressed through concepts and words that convey their substance. Thus, modern philosophies cannot be used to express dogma, as they neither accept the principle of cause and effect nor that of non-contradiction. 
On the other hand, as Pius XII stated, the Church carefully examined the notions and words used by the magisterium to express dogma. Therefore, they must not be changed. Quote, Some of these notions have not only been used by the ecumenical councils, but even sanctioned by them, so that it is wrong to depart from them. Unquote. On the contrary, in his opening speech, John XXIII also stated the magisterium of Vatican II would be, quote, predominantly pastoral in character. For this reason, parting from prior church practice, it would neither proclaim new truths nor condemn errors. Quote, the church has always opposed these errors. Frequently, she has condemned them with the greatest severity. Nowadays, however, the spouse of Christ prefers to make use of the medicine of mercy rather than that of severity, unquote. So, unlike previous councils, Vatican II would not condemn the errors of the times, whether theological or philosophical. French historian Philippe Lavillaine assessed this accurately, quote, The first definition of the council, clear and decisive, was negative. Vatican II will not pass condemnations. On this point, the words of John XXIII hardly allowed any interpretations, unquote. If so, this amounts to a change in the purpose of ecumenical councils and the Church's own magisterial office. Studying the bishop's magisterium, Spanish Jesuit theologian Father Joaquin Salveri says that, gathered in council they, quote, define doctrine because that is proper to the ecumenical council make definitive decrees establishing the doctrine that must be accepted or believed, and condemn by anathema those who hold or believe contrary opinions, unquote. Pope Pius IX expounded this purpose of an ecumenical council in his document convening the First Vatican Council. In it, the Pope that defined the Immaculate Conception explained that councils are called by the Pope's, quote, to define dogmas, condemn scattered errors, propose, illustrate, and develop Catholic doctrine, maintain and strengthen ecclesiastical discipline, and correct the corrupt customs of people, unquote. Some councils had a narrower purpose, for example, those of a judicial character or those called to convoke a crusade against the Muslims to address disciplinary problems or abuses by the emperors of the Holy Roman Empire. For this reason, after expounding the truth of dogma, ecumenical councils synthesized and condemned the opposite errors, issuing anathemas against those who subscribed to them. For instance, the First Vatican Council condemned the following error as anathema. Quote, if anyone shall have said that it is possible that the dogmas declared by the Church must sometimes, according to the progress of science, be attributed a meaning different from that which the Church has understood and understands, let him be anathema. Unquote. In addition to abandoning a council's very purpose, Pope John XXIII gave as a reason not to condemn errors, but the fact that today the Church would rather use mercy. However, one of the spiritual works of mercy is, quote-unquote, to admonish sinners. 
According to St. Thomas Aquinas, fraternal correction is required by charity when it comes to individual correction and has no social repercussions. Another correction is that required by justice, quote, which is procured not only by warning one's brother, but also sometimes by punishing him, that others may, through fear, desist from sin, unquote. This correction, he continues, is the obligation of prelates, quote, whose business it is not only to admonish, but also to correct by means of punishments, unquote. As St. Thomas also stated, the danger of understanding mercy only as an act of charity without taking into account the common good and the duty of justice leads to the dissolution of society. Quote, mercy without justice is the mother of dissolution, and justice without mercy is cruelty. Unquote. In addition to its serious doctrinal aspects, one cannot fail to point out the utopian optimism of the Council's inaugural speech. In 1962, when the speech was delivered, communism dominated much of the world. It ruled large swaths of Europe and Asia and had penetrated the Americas on the island of Cuba. Millions of Catholics were persecuted, and the Church had its freedom restricted. However, the Pope failed to mention communism, its errors, or how to fight against it, and so did the Council, which never uttered the word communism. There was also the West's increasing neo-paganization, the abandonment of religious practice, immorality of fashions and customs, and the family's gradual destruction. Inside the church, there were the Nouvelle Theologie's widespread errors, the clergy and laity's lack of zeal, and a desire to please the world. This utopian optimism led the Pope to pejoratively call those concerned with the situation, quote-unquote, prophets of doom. He added, quote, In these modern times, they can see nothing but prevarication and ruin. We feel we must disagree with those prophets of doom who are always forecasting disaster as though the end of the world were at hand, unquote. Such an expression, which was surprising on the lips of a pope who had just invoked mercy, did not go unnoticed. Giacomo Cardinal Biffy, 1928-2015, a former Archbishop of Bologna, observed with a wit and a touch of irony, quote, In the history of Revelation, the true prophets were the ones who usually announced chastisements and calamities, as in Isaiah chapter 24, Jeremiah chapter 4, and Ezekiel chapters 4 through 11. Jesus himself in chapter 24 of the Gospel of Matthew would have to be counted among the prophets of doom. His proclamation of the future triumphs and impending joys do not usually relate to existence here on earth, but rather to eternal life and the kingdom of heaven. But the people in the Bible who usually proclaim the imminence of tranquil and serene times are instead the false prophets. See chapter 13 of the book of Ezekiel. Unquote. This concludes the Second Vatican Council's New Theology by Luis Sergio Salomeo, Part 1. Thank you so much for listening. The original article is extensively footnoted. You can read the article and see the references on www.tfp.org. Return to Order, of which this podcast is only a part, 
strives to be a source of light in a dark and disordered world. Your prayers are appreciated. If you have enjoyed this podcast, we ask you subscribe and give us a five-star rating with the service through which you are listening to it. In that way, you can help Return to Order be more effective. All rights are reserved. Copyright 2020 by the American Society for the Defense of Tradition, Family, and Property, TFP.